0: Good morning, Greg. Good morning, Brett and Gary.
1: I, I There is a slight pause there because I'm trying to figure out what this is that Behind the Glass Jerry is playing. Is this like some kind of old Super Bowl intro music? No. Little Elton John. It's at uh, Philadelphia.
0: Freedom. Freedom from 36 years without a major championship in that city. The Eagles have won their first Super Bowl and I think Philadelphia is mostly still standing.
1: Yeah, there was some. We'll wait uh, to
0: see what happens when the sun comes up. See all the damage, but yeah, the Philadelphia Eagles, one of the most exciting football games maybe ever, defeated the uh, juggernaut, the Dynasty, New England Patriots last night.
1: I'm happy about that. I'm not a big NFL fan, but uh, and I think part of the reason why is because it's always the Patriots. Brady and Belichick have been to the championship. Was it eight, eight times now? And that's just, that's just boring to me. I don't want to see the same team in the championship year after year after year after year. And uh, so that I'm actually glad that I'm not a, a huge fan because when I was an NBA fan, I've, I've lamented this before, I always cheered against Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. Right. And I came up on the wrong end of that one every time.
0: Well, and you just mentioned it there, the fact that people would cheer against the Bulls and cheer for any team that... They were playing, and there are arguments to be made for parody in professional sports, but also for dynasties because it gives you an automatic bad guy, yeah, like you had yesterday. It galvanizes fan bases from across the league that you're talking about, and people will tune in to cheer against a team. If you've got, was anybody gonna be tuning in? yesterday to cheer against Jacksonville Jaguars? (laughs) I don't think so. So uh, there are arguments to be made on both sides of the coin, but, you know, you look at Tiger Woods and his effect on golf. Not everyone watching golf on Sundays when Tiger was at his best was watching to see him win. A lot of people tuned in to see him lose as well. So when you have a divisive force uh, like the New England Patriots, like Tiger Woods, it can be very good for the popularity of the sport. But I hear exactly where you're coming from.
1: And I'd like to be fair, I didn't really care about the game. I, I sort of had a half interest. What I saw was exciting. I was paying more attention to the commercials. I was curious to see what the halftime show was. One of my friends summed it up nicely. They found some meme and posted it on Instagram and said, Hey, I heard they're going to play a football game around the uh, Justin Timberlake concert. That's kind (laughs) of (laughs) weird.
0: Well, you know, and just for those that might be listening right now and yelling at the radio, why are you talking about this? My friend Brent Bellamy, who uh, joins us on on the program every once in a while, says of the 20 most watched television shows in Canadian history, 10 of them were from the 2010 Vancouver Olympics. Two were from other Olympics. Two were NHL hockey games, and that involved the 2011 NHL or Stanley Cup final between Boston and Vancouver, and six have been Super Bowls. Yep. So there's not even a Grey Cup on that list, so this is very culturally relevant, and people watch the Super Bowl en masse in Canada, and you're right, it's not just the game, it's the halftime show, it's the commercials, it's the stories before and after... And so this is hugely culturally relevant in our country.
1: I've always felt bad for and I, for people who are legit football fans, diehard football fans who watch the game week in, week out, and then the Super Bowl comes around, and suddenly that's a family event, right? Where you watch the game either by yourself or with your buddies, and then the big game comes around, and it's suddenly the kids are watching – you know, your partner's in the room. I used to always pepper my dad with questions. What does that mean? What's he, What's going on? I don't understand that rule. I wouldn't pay attention the rest of the year, but because it's the Super Bowl, and there's all this other pomp and circumstance and ceremony around it, it becomes this big event, and I, I always wondered... What do the real sports fans think of that particular side of this, right?
0: <laughs> we used to lament the fact that my mom would get super interested in the Blue Bombers around playoff time, the same with the Jets. It's like, "Mom, just stay on the sidelines, okay? They're doing well without you interfering here. Don't don't mess up the karma." Of the of the game or the series by by getting all excited about what's going on. So yes, uh, as you know, sports fans are a little bit of a superstitious bunch. So when you add these things to the formula, it it does throw a lot of people for a loop.
1: And then after the game, this is Us played. NBC used the 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 primo post Super Bowl slot to air the 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 episode of This Is Us where they really? finally revealed how Jack met his maker they've been teasing it since the fifth episode of the first season and they finally did it last night and which i and naturally i mean it's maybe the most emotionally manipulative show on tv <laughs> and uh yeah they so i stayed up to watch it the game i think the broadcast ended at Shortly before 10. Yeah, I think it was about 9.47, I think, that they finally uh, said adieu.
0: Yeah, so I was up,
1: uh, up until that episode ended at 10.47, and then I had to go online and read recaps and reviews. And uh, so I am... Uh <laughs> I got to bed, I think, at quarter to 11, so.
0: From real-life drama, some people would suggest that sports is real-life drama. Oh, sports is life. To uh, contrived and scripted drama, I wonder which resonated more with folks uh, last night, because uh, this is us. I'll be fascinated to see what the overnight numbers are. Uh... In our house last night, we were a house divided, by the way. Oh, yes. Because Jennifer Jones last night in search of her sixth. Tom Brady was looking for number six, his sixth Super Bowl ring. I saw one uh, tweet yesterday that uh, Tom Brady was actually in surgery yesterday, having an extra finger (laughs) surgically added to his left hand so that he could accommodate his sixth Super Bowl ring. Of course, that didn't come to fruition. But Jennifer Jones and Jill Officer tied Colleen Jones as... As the uh, only two female cur- curlers in Canadian history to have six national championships. So congratulations to the Jennifer Jones rank who looked as though maybe this could have been the end based on... A couple of uh, bad games uh, just before the weekend. And congratulations to Kerry Ainerson, who came through the wild card, qualified two Manitoba teams in the final. So it was uh, quite the weekend of curling for Manitobans. And congratulations also to Reed Carruthers, who defeated Mike McEwen. And that's a whole other story about Mike McEwen and his chicken pox. Uh, Reed Carruthers is the provincial champion of Manitoba men's curling.
1: Premier Brian Pallister. Spoke to Clay Young on Saturday, who was filling in for Hal Anderson Weekends, and they discussed various topics, including Pallister's picks for the Oscars. Every
2: time I run into you at some kind of an event, folks, you know, the premier will come right up to me and say, so, what movies have you seen? Mm-hmm. So I'll answer the uh, question. Uh, lately, I've seen Darkest Hour. I thought it was excellent. Yeah. Wife and I just saw The Post. I thought good. it was very good about how news organizations handle uh, very delicate topics. So what have you seen? Well, uh, not. I'm going to go further, Clay. I'm going to go
3: further and tell you my Oscar picks. Okay. Because, because I, I have seen uh, the films you referred to. Uh, I haven't seen The Post yet. I look forward to seeing it. But I can tell you right now who I think uh, from... Uh, let's do it this way because you've got a limited time. Supporting actress. Okay. Okay. Allison Janney plays uh, Tonya Tanya Harding's mum.
4: Okay. In
3: I and I Tanya. Right. She 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 puts in a performance for the ages. I think she'll win best supporting actress. Best supporting actor I I uh, I think is Sam Rockwell in 3 billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Okay? Yeah, I yeah. But I would give an honorable mention to Richard Jenkins on *The Shape of Water*. It's a film. It's a very strange film. If you haven't seen it, I recommend you see it. You will not soon forget it.
2: I've heard a lot of things about that. All beautifully,
3: positive. beautifully done. Uh, it's uh, anyway. Uh, but I'm I'm going to give the nod there to uh, Sam Rockwell. Okay, on lead actress. I got to go with Sally Hawkins in The Shape of Water and this is an incredible performance. If you haven't seen uh, uh, Sally Hawkins before, check her out in a film called Maudie. It's about a painter from the Maritimes here in Canada with Ethan Hawke as the co-star. She's fabulous in that movie. She is a fabulous uh, actress and in this film she has about, you know, five lines of dialogue in the whole film. And you'll be amazed, you know, that I would say she should be the best actress when she doesn't say much. But she is an actress who performs without, without the, the need a lot of times to, uh, to uh, talk excessively. Uh, lead actor has got to be Gary Oldman. Uh, Oldman in uh, Darkest Hour. I think you'd agree that was a heck of a performance as Winston Churchill.
2: Really was. And
3: the best picture, in my mind, is three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Uh, you've got uh, Woody Harrelson uh, in that film is just absolutely fabulous in a supporting role as well. Frances McDormand, who you remember from Fargo. She was the sheriff in the yeah. movie Fargo, the right. Brothers movie. Yeah. She's married to Ethan Cohn, right, Who is the was the, the co-writer and director of that and many other great films. Um just, just a, a shocking film, very touching, very humorous, uh, thoroughly entertaining, uh, and just beautifully done. Um, so there are a lot of good films this year. Uh, you know, Dunkirk, which of course came out early in the year, was a, a fine film uh, as well. Uh, and uh, of course you mentioned The Post. I would say The Shape of Water will get a lot of votes as well. But I'm going with uh, with three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, and I'd recommend it to anybody. But I wouldn't uh, uh, I wouldn't take your kids to it. I'll just put it that way.
2: Okay. By the way, every time I see and I saw Dunkirk, every time I see the trailer, because they're putting it up on uh, Shaw Video On Demand, I get sp- uh, sp- uh, chills down my spine. Yeah, I, I really do.
3: Uh, well, the scene the scene from Dunkirk that is in the trailer, and Kenneth Branagh is a genius, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is Look, you can almost see it. He yeah. says, looking out across the water. What, sir? Home,
2: home. home. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. And yeah. and then and then when they uh, when they're getting strafed on the beach by the Luftwaffe, the guy yells out, "Where's the bloody air force?" Yeah, exactly.
3: Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, it's lovely. Yeah, it's a it's a lovely film.
1: Premier Brian Pallister is making a, a play to be in one of the couch potatoes here on six eighty CJOB with the Clayman.
0: He's horning in.
1: Coffee and talk
0: about what else but the Super Bowl. Justin Timberlake performed a tribute to Prince in the middle of his, I would say, outstanding performance. Mm -hmm. Some people weren't exactly thrilled with his performance, period, dot, and they weren't exactly thrilled with the idea of him lending a tribute to Prince either. I don't understand that. What would have been said had he not... Paid tribute to Prince in Minneapolis, who performed the Half Bowl in 2007. Maybe the mixed message for me was having the man who ripped off the bra of uh, Janet Jackson perform again at the Super Bowl. Sounds like he's been forgiven. Where was she? And he entered the stadium performing the infamous song. And that line? You remember the line? Like by
5: the
6: end of this song
0: he cheekily ignored that line before continuing his performance. Brett,
1: I uh so you thought it was a good show or a good a good concert? I think Ju-
0: Justin Timberlake is outstanding. I've seen him in concert and that that was amazing.
1: Yeah, I uh I like Timberlake and I got I I thought the, the the halftime show I saw one headline that said it was dutiful and empty. And I would agree with that. I found the show kind of just empty. It was sort of this eh, kind of it just felt like sort of a run of the mill running, going through the motions kind of show. And he had some audio problems, too. There were problems with his microphone at one point. So That's what
0: happens when you actually sing. But anyway, we can diver- <laughs> digress. Wow.
1: Yeah, yeah at first, and my dad said to me, do you, uh, do you, was there something going on with his mic? And I thought that they were trying to match his mic, the audio from his microphone to his uh, latest song which is called filthy, I think, right? And I thought and that that has kind of a hollow sound to his vocal, so I thought they were just processing it, but it turns out maybe there were actual problems because of course people were complaining on Twitter about the sound just like they were complaining about him talking about or doing his tribute to Prince, which I don't get, but whatever. Um, so who here saw the halftime show? Kelly's here, Jeff Braun, Tristan, Jerry, and KK's on the phone. Who saw it uh, in the room? Tristan? I, I
7: uh, did not stay up to watch the Super Bowl stuff, but I actually just watched uh, the whole thing. You can find the whole thing on YouTube uh, this morning. Okay. You went to bed at 7 o'clock last night? Was that? You went to bed at 7 o'clock last night? I was tired.
2: Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> I go to bed at 6,
7: so, <laughs> so nothing wrong with that. Kelly, hey. did
8: you see you halftime? I have to admit I'm guilty of watching the Scotties while uh, the halftime show was on. Yeah,
0: fair enough. Jerry? I watched it this morning. And? I thought it was great.
7: Nope, oh, Jerry's I, coughing. He turned <laughs> turn his microphone <laughs> off there.
1: Yeah, I
7: thought, I thought, I thought uh, Justin brought it. I mean, I, I he he was hitting all of his dance moves while he was actually singing. I think that's pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, he, yeah. he's I mean, there's no there's no question that he is a tremendous talent. Jeff, you did not see it, correct? Nope, I okay. was. I in bet the car came, on the road. I bet you KK saw it. You bet
5: I did. what did you, you think? think? Well, you know what I. I I thought it was a bit of a no-win situation for him because there was so much hype and talk about whether NSYNC or Janet was going to hop on stage with him. Everybody was waiting for that aha moment, which didn't happen. And not that there was anything wrong with what he did. He did a spectacular performance, I thought, but a bit of a letdown, I think, by many because they expected something.
0: Well, something in terms of uh, guest appearance, right?
5: Yes, Janet, NSYNC, Whoever, something. I mean, when you, when you come on the heels of performances like Gaga and Bruno Mars yeah. and Beyonce, which were all just over the top, Katy Perry. I mean, who can't remember the left shark? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> right? Um, I, I think people were waiting for the big aha moment. And it was just a solid performance. And there's nothing wrong with that, but there was no big aha.
0: What about Selfie Boy? I mean, Selfie Boy kind of stole the show at the end there.
5: He did indeed, and I thought that was a very nice touch that Justin did with his uh, Super Bowl selfies. But um, he exemplified look, Janet,
0: Okay, he exemplified everything that's wrong with people at live events these days. <laughs> Justin Timberlake standing beside him, and he's looking at his phone. <laughs> course. Uh, boy, that was a great picture. I just got yeah. Justin Timberlake, oh. and he's still beside him. And so, of course, that generated all oh. sorts of uh, split-screen memes of the kid holding his phone, and the one that I liked the best was on the other side showing his screen was Google, who is Justin Timberlake.
8: <laughs> <laughs> oh, too good.
1: Yeah, as far as this Prince, what do you think about the, Kathy, what do you think about the uh, the tribute to Prince in his show?
5: Well, and I mean, uh, I I loved it. I love the fact that he paid uh, homage. Um, I don't know if you know the backstory on that. The plan was up until a few days before the show to have a hologram prince on stage. Um, but it was disallowed um, by Prince's estate. So they ended up doing the curtain with... Uh, you know, with his image. I, I think a hologram Prince and Justin, that would have been yeah. an aha moment.
1: Well, and he, part of the problem too is Prince himself had spoken against sort of these posthumous performances, these holograms, kind of virtual reality things. I can't remember the exact quote, but it was something like he, he basically said he thought they were weird yeah. and he wasn't really cool with them. So I can understand why the
7: estate so, yeah, said respect, hang on. Yeah, them respecting his wishes. Yeah, but on the flip side, though, how do you not do a tribute to someone like Prince? In Minneapolis. In Minneapolis. Exactly. Like, how yeah. do you not do that? I mean, this was, and, and KK said it perfectly, this was a no-win situation yeah, for I Justin agree. Timberlake. Absolutely. You would have annoyed people if he had done the tribute He would have annoyed people if he hadn't done the tribute. And I mean, this harkens back to when Lady Gaga did a fabulous tribute uh, to David Bowie. I thought that was a fantastic performance, and people weren't happy with it. And, yeah. and I never found a concrete reason as to why people weren't happy with it. I thought it was visually spectacular. I thought she did; she was amazing. But it's it, it, you just you can't please in people. This,
8: in this day and age, you could save 100 children from a sinking ship, yep. and there'd be people who would complain about it.
0: Well, because you didn't <laughs> save 101, Kelly. Why didn't you go back for the 101st? Bingo. Right? Now, what about the commercials? The TV commercials are a oh, big God. part of... This celebration, this cultural icon, yeah. this uh, six hours of football and food and commercialism. Alexa was was my number one, and the
8: one that got me was the Hyundai commercial, where uh, people who'd purchased a Hyundai they were in the airport, and then they get uh, brought into this room and get talked, uh, get a chance to meet in person, uh, cancer survivors who they helped uh, say, Boy, I'll tell I get choked up talking about it right now.
1: Yeah, the uh, the Amazon one actually, according to USA Today. They uh, just posted their poll uh, this morning to find out who won the 30th ad meter, according to USA Today. And the headline is Alexa, or not the headline, but the first line of the article, Alexa, who won USA Today's 30th ad meter? Uh, well, um, me. Jeff, you didn't see the halftime show, but of the commercials you did see. I
9: saw three commercials, and uh, I think I liked the Alexa one the best. That was one of them. Yeah, and I saw the Jeep one. A little bit of it?
1: Yeah, I'll play the first uh, few seconds of this here. Uh, well, yeah, just in case you missed it, here's the first chunk of the Amazon Alexa ad.
4: In Austin, it's 60 degrees with a. <laughs> Alexa?
5: Amazon's Alexa lost her voice this morning, causing. A Alexa lost of... her voice. How is that even
10: possible?
6: We have the replacements ready. Just say the word.
11: And you're sure this is gonna work?
4: Yeah. Alexa, show me a recipe for a grilled cheese sandwich.
0: Pathetic. You're 32 years of age, and you don't
7: know how to make a grilled cheese sandwich. Its name (laughs) is the recipe, you
4: (laughs) 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 Here,
1: hang on, hang on. I'm just going to replay it from that. It's
7: 32 years of age, and you don't know how to make a
0: grilled cheese sandwich. Its name is the recipe, you
1: yeah. <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> yes Greg it's Gordon Ramsay.
0: of
5: course
1: it's
0: Gordon Ramsay. I didn't see really any of the commercials because I like Kelly was enthralled by what was going on on curling so I was going back and forth wow. and the commercials weren't uh, nearly as enticing as uh, Jennifer Jones uh, winning in Penticton so
1: uh, USA Today, the ad, the second one was the one that you did see, Greg, was the NFL finished second in oh. what was razor-close voting. Oh. KK, uh, what did you think of the NFL campaign with you know Eli Manning that, and Odell Beckham?
5: That was pure, unadulterated genius. Whoever is responsible for that ad needs to get an award because that was, I was killing myself watching that one.
1: Well, and it was interesting how they weaved it throughout the broadcast, right? They'd play a chunk of it and you wonder, okay, what's next? I happened to, I missed, I think, the second one, but I caught the third one. And I thought, what are they getting up to here? What? Did, where he talked about needing the big finale. <laughs> and I never expected a dirty dancing... <laughs>
0: So if you haven't seen it, it's Eli Manning and Odell Beckham Jr. performing the finale from D- Dirty Dancing. And in fact, Eli appears to hold OBJ over his head, uh, Allah Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey. It's pretty... Spectacular, yeah.
7: <laughs> you know, this is one of the things that I, I personally love the Super Bowl. I'm not a huge NFL fan, but just as an event uh, and as a, you know, as a phenomenon, really, they really have marketed this as there's there's stuff for everybody in there. If you don't like the football, then there's the halftime show. If you don't like the halftime show, there's the commercials. I mean, I think of when you think of all the sporting events out there where you think it's geared towards a specific audience, they've done such a fabulous job of uh, bringing it to a mass audience, if you will.
1: Uh, By the way, on the subject of Alexa, if you have an Amazon Echo, you can say, "Hey Alexa, bring up CJOB News," and you'll hear the voice of Jeff Braun giving you the latest headlines from the day. And he's actually got global news coming up. Unless you're Jeff Courier, he can't get his to work. He said. before we actually talk to our next guest about what we brought him in to talk about, Greg, <laughs> yes, it turns out he's got an opinion about something you have an opinion about, too.
0: Yeah, Dr. Michael Schubert is a good friend of 680 CGOB, loyal listener, and a regular contributor to The Health Report. So good morning, Mike. Great to see you. Good morning, gentlemen. And... Uh, He's got dozens of accolades and and letters and uh, all sorts of credentials behind his name. But uh, this morning we're introducing him as uh, as a researcher at uh, Albrickson Research Center in the Molecular Pathophysiology Laboratory, and we're going to talk about uh, the the connection between uh, cancer and uh, also. Uh, the potential for women to develop cardiac disease in treating breast cancer and then also we're going to discuss the possibility of a cancer vaccine being developed here in Winnipeg but mike is a jack of all trades he knows lots about everything and we were discussing during the news the fact that the ram the dodge commercial last night was a little bit bothersome for michael it was for me as well let's let's listen to just a tiny bit of the text from the drum major instinct sermon that mlk delivered 50 years ago yesterday
8: if you want to be important wonderful if you want to be recognized wonderful if you want to be great wonderful but recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant That's a new definition
0: of greatness. Now, amazing, powerful words combined with images. And I think Dodge is trying to tie it back into giving back to your community and unveiling the new 2019 RAM redesign, blah, 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 blah. But the words on their own may tell one message, but the sermon overall delivered a vastly
9: different message, Mike. Yeah, that was really an anti-commercialism message. And uh, I remember when the ad ran, as soon as it ended I turned to my family members who were in the room and I said was that what I think it was I, it, did I really see what the, that ad being used the way it was and those words being used the way it was I was very surprised I think it was a real misstep for them to to do that I think they might have gotten away with it if they hadn't shown the truck right at the end you know and just said you know you, you know just maybe have their logo and say this is a feel good message
0: A message of positivity.
9: as soon as as they show the truck sitting on the rocks kind of at the end, it kind of deflates the entire thing. Well, and
0: here's why it's a giant misstep. The presence
8: of this instinct explains why we are so often taken by advertisers. You know, uh, those gentlemen of massive verbal persuasion. And they have a way of saying things to you that kind of gets you in the bind. In order to be a man of distinction, you must drink this whiskey. In order to make your neighbors envious, you must drive this type of car. In order to be lovely to love, you must wear this kind of uh, lipstick or this kind of perfume. And you know, before you know it, you're just buying that stuff.
0: So that's 50 years ago yesterday, and that was really probably the heart of the speech and the heart of the message
9: that MLK was trying to get across. Absolutely, and it just um, kind of makes the whole thing seem somewhat contrived, so I I was quite surprised to to hear that. Um, I wouldn't say I'm angry or anything, it just seemed uh, like more of the same when you hear Uh, Something like that happened.
1: Kind of like when Right Now by Van Halen gets used in a a Crystal Pepsi ad? Absolutely. (laughs) Was it Crystal
0: Pepsi? It was Crystal Pepsi or Pepsi Clear. Is that the same thing? And uh, Sammy Hagar's take was out plain and simply, somebody's going to make money performing our song. It might as well be us, right? Because there's way around everything. Hey, Mike, we've reached out on a bazillion different things uh, health-wise to you over the years. And the headline jumped out for us, breast cancer treatments can raise risk of heart diseases, according to the American Heart Association. And I know that uh, over the years, that conversation has come up, uh, not only with you, but also your colleague, uh, Dr. Davinder Jassel at St. Boniface Hospital at the Albertson Research Center.
9: Yeah, he does. And also Dr. Puan Single and Laurie Kirschenbaum. they've been studying this for quite some time. Uh, Dr. Peter Cattini has been studying this over at the Health Science Center. Uh, this is a... Now, the AHA report was a little bit different. It was talking specifically about how treatments for breast cancer can... Um, lead to increased cardiovascular disease in general, but there's also cardiovascular medications such as doxorubicin. Uh, so, sorry, anti-cancer medications like doxorubicin that that specifically significantly increase risk of heart failure, and that has been something that's been studied um, for 20-25 years. Uh, Dr. Single was one of the pioneers in this city in in studying that, and it uh, it really is quite serious. the The amount of drug you can take is sort of finite, and you need this drug in order to to tackle some of these very powerful cancers. But you know that it's building up to a certain amount of tolerance that you can handle, and then at that point, uh, it, it triggers heart failure. And that point is a little bit different in every person, so it's not easily predictable. So when the decision has to be made to take this drug, it has to be taken... Looking at a lot of other factors and trying to decide, well, which is the way that's going to be the biggest risk for this individual. So with February
0: being Heart Month, lots of heart health stories coming to
9: the forefront. A
0: Canadian uh, Heart and Stroke Association putting out their report with regard to women's heart health and that it's underfunded, it's under research, it's under-diagnosed. Dr. Michael Shubred is here with us. He's a a researcher, Molecular molecular Pathophysiology Laboratory. Easy for me to say and you to type out, Mike. St. Boniface Hospital, Albertson Research Centre, and of course, uh, many other credentials. Uh, Before the break, we talked about the idea of a cancer vaccine, and I know that's high level and you will uh, back off from that maybe somewhat, but
9: is this a, a potential based on some of the research you're doing? Well, not so much on mine, but this is an exciting study that's come out of Stanford University. and uh, they have what they did was they were doing this study in mice and they showed that they could put in um, basically some, uh, two injections right into the site of the tumor to sort of prime the mouse's own immune system to then attack the tumor. And there's been a lot of ways to approach this before, but this way it looks like it might be very inexpensive and very, fairly easy to do. And the exciting thing was they put tumors in multiple locations within the mice and injected only one of the tumors. And once the mouse's immune system woke up and attacked it, those immune cells then went throughout the body and eliminated the tumors from the other sites, which is really exciting. And I believe their their success rate was something like 87 out of 90 animals uh, completely cleared up. The, Sorry, did you uh, the say they, they injected one tumor? But uh, but it spread throughout the body and, and and attacked the other tumors. Right. So they had injected the the tumor causing cells itself into multiple locations, but only treated one site. And then the and then the, the body reacted by going after the same cells in other distant locations. And so that's really exciting because then you're mobilizing your your body's own defense mechanism to um, to wake up and do its job. And and. Often in cancer, it tries to do that, but there's many ways that cancer can evade detection by the immune system. This is a way to sort of wake the immune system back up and say there's an invader in your midst. Time to attack it.
0: And these are the sorts of research... Uh, that are going to be critical in terms of curing these disease, tackling these disease, uh, things that 10 years ago sounded like
9: science fiction are coming to fruition. Yeah, and they actually showed that this worked for multiple kinds of tumors. They tested multiple types in this study, so it's really exciting. And they've already started to fast-track a small clinical trial with about 15 patients enrolled Um, I believe with uh, a lymphoma that they're going to try and see if this works in humans now because that's really the key step does it actually work in us
1: well Dr. Schubert thank you so much uh, for visiting us Uh, Michael Schubert is his name molecular pathophysiology laboratory St. Boniface Hospital Augurston Research Center thanks for joining us this morning to discuss health hearts and uh, Super Bowl commercials my pleasure thank you very much
0: I'm Greg. He's Brett. And joining us now is a woman who suffered a heart attack, but because her systems were different than a man, she was initially denied proper health care. Kim Forsman was a former paramedic and first aid instructor, so she knew a little bit of what she was talking about. Yet, Kim, you didn't exactly get taken seriously at Nipah Hospital. Tell us the story.
6: Uh, well, I had um, in 2005, I had some uh, cardiac issues and uh, luckily I had a wonderful uh, doctor in ER and I was sent into Winnipeg and I had a couple stents put in my heart. And then exactly a year later, I, I continued on doing my paramedics work. And exactly a year later, um, I presented with um, very, very mild, mild symptoms, but because of my history and my knowledge, I sort of figured something was going on and um, um, so I did go to the to the emergency and um, I was told because I didn't really fit the symptoms that cardiac, you know, patients had that I was fine and to go home and, and take a day off work and if I had more symptoms then I could see my regular physician. So I knew uh, something serious was going on and so because, like I said, because I knew I started popping aspirins like they were Tic Tacs. And um, uh, two days later, I uh, presented at the hospital in critical condition and uh, was taken into Winnipeg, where I found out I had not only had one heart attack, I had three, and I had a triple heart bypass at the age of 45.
1: Now, did they, was there anything in your past that might contribute to this kind of thing like is it a a hereditary thing that you would know you can know of or uh, did you ever have any uh, issues with your diet in the past that may have contributed to this
6: no i had i uh, had a very high stress job but as far as i know i don't have family history um, my mom just passed away two months ago at the age of 95 with no cardiac history and um I uh, wasn't a smoker, ever a smoker. Um, I was borderline diabetic with pregnancies and so I had that factor Uh, but that, that was about it.
0: So, Kim, with your experience as a paramedic, uh, was it your was it your experience that that women were treated differently than men in terms of these unusual symptoms that crop up for women as it pertains to a cardiac event? Did you witness that firsthand in your professional life? Uh,
6: no, um, actually, no. In my twenty seven years as paramedics, it was. It, uh, the only thing I did get to see was symptoms have changed a lot um, through my career. I saw it like people presented so differently, and and especially women, women very differently. But we saw cardiac events with um, abdominal pain, with chest pain, with back pain, with arm pain, just kind of all over the map.
1: Now, you reached out to us on Thursday when we had a conversation about this heart and stroke report that showcased the fact that uh, women's heart uh, research is underdiagnosed, or pardon me, it's underfunded, and then heart problems are underdiagnosed. And there's also a stat that we learned this morning from the American Heart Association that says almost 48 million women in the United States have some kind of heart disease compared with 3.3 million women. Uh, So when you hear those stats, as it relates to your personal experience, uh, what do you, what's your reaction?
6: Well, it's, it's kind of alarming with, with those stats uh, for women. Um, And I just think that, you know, women need to be heard. They need to be taken seriously. And I think, Women need to trust their own gut instinct. If you feel that something's not right, I think you need to push for um, investigation And uh, because not all people would be as lucky as I was to come out of it and be in fairly good health with a lot of medications.
0: Kim, we appreciate you sharing your story with us. We appreciate your service in the past and uh, hope everything's going okay out in Minnedosa. Condolences on your mom's passing. I heard about that through the grapevine as well. And I wanted to extend my condolences to you uh, here on the air this morning, Kim. Thanks so much for this.
6: Thank you very much.
0: And it's 3.3 million women, uh, Brett, with with breast cancer, which has such a high profile in the United States and Canada in terms of fundraising. And it's so it's multiples of women that have that have uh, concerns and should have concern over their cardiac conditions and cardiac disease. Um, that that makes this such a, a stark realization for many women that that really they're five times more likely uh, to have their life claimed by heart disease than by
1: breast cancer. Indeed, so we thank Kim for reaching out uh, to tell us that story. Uh, This was a message that was sent to us on Facebook that alerted us to her uh, personal situation, so we do appreciate that. And the tagline, uh, the final words she says in her message to us, women need to be taken seriously. So we thank you for coming forward to tell your story. I'm Brett McGarry. He is Greg Mackling on 680 CJOB. One,
5: two, three...
1: Things Now with TFJ. Tristan Field-Jones is here in for Chanelie Vidal. Good morning to you, Tristan. Good Good morning, gentlemen. Holy moly, I'm getting ahead of myself.
7: Well, it
0: is like afternoon in all fairness, because usually you get here at 10.02 in the morning. And so this would be four hours
7: later. So it's like two o'clock in the afternoon for you. I guess so, yes. yeah, when you I'm look at it you that way. I'm letting you off the hook, Tristan, take it and run. Okay, so um, we've heard about <laughs> the uh, incidents on Amtrak passenger trains recently. There have been three of them in the last two months. I can think of two, the one
0: in Washington and then the latest one in South Carolina. Where was the other one? There was
7: another one, and this actually happened just last Wednesday uh, when a train, it was chartered by a group of Republican lawmakers and politicians, it collided with a garbage truck at a level crossing uh, just west of Charlottesville, Virginia. One person was killed and several people on the train were injured, so that's the third one. Okay, thank you. All three of these are significant incidents. Now, gentlemen, before we get into this, curious, have either of you traveled by train or do you travel by train
1: regularly? <laughs> I have not. I've always wanted to. I mean, aside from like a go train in Toronto. I don't know that you can count that.
0: I once took the via rail from Winnipeg to Brandon. That's it. Yeah. Now when Does you do sh- the prairie dog central? count?
7: No, probably not. Yeah, it's more of a tourist thing. I'm talking more travel, right?
0: I I was being sarcastic.
7: Well, but it would be a fair question to ask, because the Prairie Dog Central is pretty cool. It is cool. Uh, Anyway, so um, when you hear about these incidents, and I mean, it is quite unusual for there to be three fatal incidents involving passenger trains, you might get a little bit worried about this sort of stuff, and and rightfully so. so. But uh, I did a little bit of research, and and I figured, you know what, maybe we should... Uh, uh, put some facts on this, just so that if you are worried about traveling by train, here are a few things that might ease that a little bit. Uh, First of all, uh, just to quickly recap, so on December 18th, an Amtrak train derailed just south of Seattle. Three people were killed there, more than 100 passengers injured. Uh, The investigation at that, by the way, the final results won't be known for possibly up to two years while they figure out all the wreckage. Uh, And the train was uh, traveling at about 126 kilometers an hour, 80 Kilometers above the speed limit. And then most recently, as I mentioned, there was that chartered train that ran into a garbage truck. And then early yesterday morning near uh, Columbia, South Carolina, there was a train, an Amtrak train that slammed into a parked freight train near Columbia, South Carolina. Two people are dead so far. Over 100 others were injured. And by the way, only about a quarter of the people on that train were not injured. So this was a pretty significant incident. 5,000 gallons of fuel leaked from the engines, and now it's getting a bit messy. Amtrak is pointing the finger at CSX Transportation, which is one of the freight companies there.
0: They operate that section of the lot. Exactly,
7: right. They're saying there was a switch that wasn't aligned. Anyway, so it could get a little bit nasty here. So, yeah, three serious incidents in a while. Well, you might look at, and, and thing number two here, if you will, you might look at the increasing use of rail transport in the U.S. Now, Amtrak posted a record high ridership of 32 million passenger trips in its most recent fiscal year. That's double what it carried in 1972, its first year. And freight railroads have also seen huge growth There are almost 1.5 million freight cars in the U.S., 32,000 locomotives, and it's over a network of 200,000 kilometers of track. So 40% of all freight in the U.S. is carried on railroads, and in 2014, they carried 2.5 billion tons of freight. I'm trying to
0: conceptualize that. It's, it's a lot.
7: Well, and here's something that might help a little bit. Uh, we all know that the rail, uh, the freight carried by uh, by train, farm oil fields has really gone up. In North Dakota, they carried more oil out of that state via train than the Trans Alaska Pipeline, which is 700,000 barrels per day. My word. That is an increase of 40 times in a five-year period. Okay. So that might help conceptualize it just a little bit. Uh, Anyway, now in Canada, what's interesting is that the freight traffic here hasn't seen that kind of increase. But what we have seen is the passenger increase. Commuter rail ridership, if you look at some numbers, has doubled in some aspects in terms of the amount of time people are spending on commuter rail. Uh, And Via Rail reported that 300,000 people used the train for just the holiday season. Season The past holiday season we had, they reported 4 million passengers in 2016. And as a side note, this I find really interesting, before the rail line was washed out heading to Churchill, yes. Via Rail highlighted it, quote, as a star performer with double-digit revenue growth exceeding 20% for the second year in a row. This was just before that whole rail line was washed out.
0: Thanks for putting a burr under my saddle on that because I'm still worked up and bothered by the fact that this hasn't been sorted out and spring is, believe it or not, just around the corner. So we're facing another tourist season up in Churchill
7: without the rail line. So we've seen massive numbers here overall in Canada in terms of that. And in Canada's uh, rail network is is over 50,000 kilometres of rail. So when you look at that, though... This is where, this is, these are the truly remarkable facts, if you will. So despite all these recent, recent incidents on Amtrak, if we look at the fatalities, uh, rail travel remains very safe. The U.S. only reported 120 deaths on their railroads in 2013. For comparison, on our highways last year, just in Manitoba, there were 73 deaths.
0: So 73 in Manitoba versus just over 100 in the United States entirely? Over
7: 200,000 kilometers of track. And in Canada, it's uh, uh, similar statistics. When you look at it, uh, Canada reported uh, averaged about seventy-six deaths, and that's over fifty thousand kilometers of track.
0: And I have to imagine some of those fatalities are individuals who are in vehicles that have get get hit by a train or trespassing, or trespassing that sort of thing, etc. Yeah. So. And
7: finally, one last quick thing here: uh, despite the tens of thousands of trips, Canada reported only a, what, about a hundred derailments involving more than one train car and that was across the country so if you're traveling by rail it's safer than the car
0: pretty pretty safe cam says i went from winnipeg to prince george on via rail amazing trip more people need to take the train
1: tristan field jones three things with tfj thank you very much we have on the phone with us jill officer to talk some curling jill congratulations to you
12: Thank you so much.
0: You're really uh, entering uncharted territory, joining Colleen Jones along with your compatriot Jennifer Jones. Six national championships did you did you imagine that this week was spectacular? But you had some bumps in the road along the way. Could you have imagined it tasting so sweet, Jill?
12: No, it's just actually been kind of unbelievable since we won yesterday. It's kind of mind-boggling to think that we're in such um, select company with with Colleen. And, um, you know, Jennifer and I have both said, you know, the thought of winning, you know, 15 years ago, the thought of winning one Scotty's was, uh, you know, something that we dreamed of. And it's just mind-boggling to think that we've won six. It's it's very special and... um, Yeah, I don't even know if I can put it into words.
0: Well, our house was divided yesterday, and I can hardly wait to see the TV numbers because in our house we had both the Super Bowl and uh, your match with Carrie Anerson on television in our home, and we were excited uh, more about the curling than we were about the football. So this has captivated a lot of people's <laughs> imaginations and excitement, and uh, this is just one of those things that, you know, to see two Manitoba teams in the final and then to see you and Jennifer and to... to uh, Uh, to to bring on a new player with Caitlin uh, heading over to the Olympics uh, just uh, under circumstances you've never won before. This is very unique.
12: Yeah. uh, Yeah, that's, that's totally true. And, you know, we, uh, we had a lot of faith in Shannon coming on the team and she uh, really stepped up and made a lot of fantastic shots. And she was a, a total star this week and we couldn't be more grateful and thankful that she joined our squad for the week. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, she. It, it's just, it was an easy transition to bring her onto the team, so it, it worked really well. And, yeah, it was going to be a good day for Manitoba either way. And, um, yeah, so I think Manitoba's got a bright future.
0: Now, now, there was another dynamic, never mind two Manitoba teams facing off against one another, our relatives as well.
12: Yeah. Yeah. My, my niece, Kristen uh, McCush plays lead on the Anderson team. And uh, yeah, we've played each other a number of times now over the last uh, number of years, but I'll tell you, it, it only gets harder in those big games. Uh, We played them a few years ago in the provincial final. And at that time that was the hardest game that uh, I'd ever had to play. And now I can uh, 100% say that yesterday was the hardest game I ever had to play. And it. uh, really broke my heart to see her so upset but uh i also know that uh, she was very happy happy for me and happy for us and uh you know i think she believes her her time will come if she puts the work in and um you know i'm really incredibly proud of her and incredibly proud of the, the person that she is
0: well the future of curling in manitoba men's and women's is very strong and dawn McEwen having to wonder what was going on with her husband mike back in winkler concern for his health was there any thought of coming back to manitoba for dawn jill uh
12: only very briefly until uh you know it was it was kind of sorted out and you know uh obviously it was a very concerning time for for dawn and for mike and um you know we were you know we did just did what we could to support dawn and we're going to be you know in support of her with whatever she needed to do but thankfully um mike was in good hands in winkler at the the hospital and uh he had his uh his mom around and uh yeah it was uh it was kind of nice to see him to return to the ice yesterday too and uh yeah i'm just glad he's on the mend
0: Caitlin Laws, will she join your team at Worlds, Jill?
12: Yes, she will. Um, That was always the plan going into Scotties was that uh, Caitlin would return to the lineup and Shannon will be our fifth player.
0: Outstanding stuff. And one last thing we have to ask you, we'd be remiss if we didn't. Jennifer alluding to the fact that this might be your last year together. Was that a slip or is that something that maybe we should be talking about at this point in time?
12: Uh, no, I guess we'll just have to wait and see.
0: Okay, well, <laughs> Your diplomatic answer, a world class ass, a world class athlete, Jill Officer. Congratulations on this national championship, and congratulations and best of luck at the world championships in North Bay.
12: Thank you, guys, so much.
1: All right, Jill Officer joining us live on 680 CJOB from BC where her team with Jennifer Jones won the 2018 Scotties Tournament of Hearts and will represent Canada at the World Curling Championships in as Greg mentioned North Bay, Ontario, 680 CJOB. <laughs>
0: It's uh, lunchtime for Brett and I, so which means it's an ideal time for us to talk about <laughs> and discuss one of our favorite things in life food, fuel for your body, and of course, the restaurant scene in Winnipeg and in Manitoba maybe never been healthier. We know how competitive it is, and so you gotta be really good. To stick around for a long time, and uh, Scott, I don't think you have anything to uh, hide by the fact (laughs) that you've been around for almost 22 years. I think it uh, is indicative of of the hard work that you do to make uh, every customer feel welcome. We're joined in studio by Scott McTaggart, uh, owner, operator, server at fusion grill on
10: dishwasher it. sometimes marriage counselor yes indeed uh, <laughs> you know you gotta wear a lot of hats uh, you know it's a, a small business very hands-on uh, i'm proud to be part of the food service industry and winnipeg does have a dynamic uh, very competitive uh, uh, line of uh, restaurants uh, from all sorts of different kinds and uh, types and uh, i'm very proud of that in our city
0: why do you continue to serve
10: well, <clears throat> I don't think you're going to get better unless you're actually out on the floor and uh, part talking to people and working with people. And, you know, it's uh, one thing to sort of set standards of uh, excellence. Uh, and it's another thing to participate in that and sort of help solve problems. And, you know, everything just doesn't go perfectly all the time, as, uh, as you know, and it's life, right? And, and uh, I think if you're going to be able to sort of and have a passion for what you do and want to get better, well, you got to get out there and you got to, you know, meet the people, talk to them and get an idea of what they like and and also get out there and help your staff do a good job.
1: So Friday, we spoke at Lori Hughes, who's the publisher of Chow Magazine, uh, to tell us about this event, Dine About Winnipeg 2018, which you're a part of. And uh, and then we, so we thought, well, why don't we, you know, we always hear the ads where he's talking about (laughs) being a charismatic owner. (laughs) Let's get Scott in here to tell us about what, so you have a 38, you're part of the $38, Menu, yeah. For dinner time, we're doing
10: a thirty-eight dollar uh, tasting menu, and then for lunch, we're doing a twenty-eight dollar sort of savvy business uh, persons uh, lunch uh, sort of uh, gathering thing. And it's uh, it's been great. This is the first time we've uh, tried it out for lunch. It's been nice. Uh, people have really enjoyed it, and um, you know, the dinner we've been participating since oh, I don't know. I think Lori uh, told me fifteen years now. If we've been uh, she's been doing dine about Winnipeg, and it's a really great chance for us to sort of not just uh, provide an incentive for people to come see us for a financial standpoint, but we also use it as an opportunity to try some new things like those reverse grilled lamb chops. Wow, are well, those juicy and nice. How do you
0: reverse grill lamb chops? Can you give us some insight without giving any, any well, corporate secrets?
10: Yeah, it's not it's not a big secret. It's been around for a long time, uh, since the uh, 50s, I think, uh, originally, but um, essentially, you put a nice thick cut of meat or a roast uh, into the oven uh, first, and then put it on the grill. And it uh, really uh, makes for a more juicy. Sometimes when you grill it first, you know you've got to rest it uh, so that you may keep the you know to keep the juices or the juices may run out of it. Well, this way it's uh, we're you know we're playing with it and we're finding it's just got a great great real a nice sear on it and then nice juicy
1: as well. So Fusion Grill, uh, over the last, I guess, few years now, you guys have done a rather, uh, from an exterior remodel. Yeah. Um, did, did that translate indoors as well?
10: <clears throat> it, ha- it it does. It will. I'm hoping it seems that every time I try and, uh, uh, get into, uh, an indoor renovation, something happens like, uh, this past December, our boiler, uh, imploded. <laughs> oh. So, so now I'm, uh, sh- the shekels that I have saved up for, uh, doing some renovations in the dining room are going towards something, you know, I don't know. Like heat? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ambience being a key aspect of your dining experience.
1: Uh, <laughs> I should point out as well, I don't mean to imply it. I just realized after I said it that I may have implied that you need to. I haven't actually been to Fusion Grill, so I have oh. no idea what it looks like from the outside or inside, but I know what it looks like from the outside, and it looks really sharp. It's on Academy. For those who are unfamiliar with it, can you tell us where exactly it is?
10: Sure. Uh, we're uh, cleverly located at 550 Academy. What makes uh, it road. so clever? Academy, there, clever, clever academy, you know. <laughs> Sorry guys, it must be a little early for you. I'm the restaurant guy. I'm usually snoozing at this time. (laughs) I love it. So yeah, it's uh, just uh, just off the St. James uh, Bridge and on the south side of Academy and uh, close to Lanark uh, uh, is across street. And uh, we've been there for yeah 22 years this June.
0: Well, that neighborhood has certainly uh, undergone some massive change in the last two decades, and I think is a testimony and a testament to the entrepreneurial spirit of Winnipeg because uh, there's the odd national chain involved in the redevelopment in your neighborhood, but for the most part, it's uh, people like you and me, local folks.
10: Yeah, it's a great uh, small independent business people, shops, uh, boutiques, uh, beautiful, uh, different products uh, available, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, a really, uh, I call it the Rodeo Drive of Winnipeg, and so am my, you know... Sort of um, uh, friends make fun of that. But, I mean, really it is. I mean, if you think about it, all the diversity that we have on that uh, um, Academy Road, there's really a lot of different cool stuff.
0: My grandpa could never understand the idea on Cordon Avenue when the Cordon Avenue strip started to develop. He like, why all those restaurants side by each like that? Uh, that can't be good for business. I tried to explain to him to him it's actually really good for business
10: because... Well, there's a tipping point, right? It brings people in and you're able to sort of establish, uh, you know, if you can we'll go here, maybe you can go there or we'll go here. And it just sort of, uh, it, it's a bit of a nexus. And uh, interestingly enough, when we opened the restaurant, a lot of my uh, colleagues said, uh, well, you're going to open on Corridan, right? And I'm like, no, I'm not going to open on Corridan. I'm going to open on Academy Road. And there's like, on Academy Road, what's on Academy Road? And I was like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's, no, <laughs> there's You know, we had a concept that was really, really pushing the envelope 22 years ago the idea of fresh and local was really foreign, you know, and foreign was what was familiar, right? Sure. Lobster came from Nova Scotia, U.S. prime, Italian, French, that type of thing. And the idea of food from your own backyard was just really radically different. And, well, uh, uh, we wanted to really accentuate the wine uh, and food pairing as well. So we had a, uh, and, you know, the restaurant business wasn't difficult enough to, uh, So I had to have an all-Canadian wine list, which 22 years ago was like really challenging. That was not not easy. (laughs) The food's good, but uh, why are you forcing us to drink Canadian wine?
0: Even living in the Okanagan (laughs) 20-something years ago, it was difficult to do.
10: And and today, you know, people love it and they really get it. And we really put a lot of work into the sort of the whole ambiance. We the the music that we play, you know, local uh, artists uh, like uh, Jill Barber. You'll hear, you know, and and uh, some other great Canadian acts. And uh, the dining room has. Uh, paintings by uh, artist Kristen uh, Britt Hansen who uh, uh, just lives down McMillan down the way and, and they're gorgeous beautiful landscapes of the prairie skies and they're sort of like my big expensive windows.
1: I, uh, you, you talked about uh, the local ingredients and that it's a local business and I'm reminded... I was going to explain this ad that ran yesterday during the Super Bowl that kind of ties in, but I'll just play it, illustration, better than explanation. I'll I'll play the ad, and then we can uh, discuss how it ties into you.
5: When you use Groupon in your neighborhood, you're not only saving money, you're also supporting local business. I mean, what kind of person wouldn't want to support local business?
1: I hate local business. Family owned? Even better. Shut it down.
5: Oh, what about, when you save in your neighborhood, it feels so good.
1: So that's <laughs> Tiffany Haddish, who's a comedian who was in a, a successful movie over the summer called Girls Trip. And what happened in there was a couple of guy, a couple of football players, booted a field goal into this rich guy in his rich mansion who <laughs> wants to shut down all the local businesses. right into his midsection. And that's one that you've been touting for years. All that you support. Local, everything's local in your place, right? Yeah, it is, and I mean, it's
10: it's it's funny. It started uh, a long time ago. I was uh, a a funky restaurant in Toronto, and and uh, um, it was really cool. And 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 but I, I came back home. and I went up to uh, Grandview, Manitoba, to my auntie's place, uh, and uh, she was making a pork chop, and this pork chop was like. It was brown; it wasn't white. Uh, you know what I mean, and, uh, and it was really tasty. And I and and it just sort of clicked to me. Wow, why aren't you know why aren't we celebrating these things? Why aren't we celebrating the food from the prairie? And nobody was really getting up and saying that. And and you know, it's it's I'm proud to do that. I'm proud to be able to feature the, you know great local products like Granny's uh, turkey. We've got to making this fabulous turkey tortilla for on the dineabout menu, and and you know we've got uh, just such great stories to be able to tell about where our food comes from, and we're not just you know, serving local food—we're serving the best local food—and why is it the best? And and to be able to communicate that with my patrons uh, is is a real is a real pleasure. And and people are fascinated by it. I mean, they they're more and more interested
1: in where their food came comes from today than ever before. Scott McTaggart is our guest with Fusion Grill. He is the charismatic owner of Fusion Grill, part of Dine About Winnipeg, Chow Dine About Winnipeg. And we really only have about 35 seconds left here. So, Scott, just give us a quick pitch for Fusion Grill to check it out during this week. And not just this week, but anytime, really.
10: Well, uh, I like to uh, like you all to come out and uh, try some really interesting, creative uh, food. Uh, we have a sensational chef uh, in the kitchen that is uh, constantly sort of pushing the envelope uh, with uh, fresh local ingredients. Of course, uh, we're all uh, super happy to uh, support local. By local, we've got uh, uh, all the local craft breweries uh, uh, at the restaurant, uh, some new craft uh, distillers from Manitoba, and we're uh, using those ingredients to create sort of a dining experience that I think is second to none, or at least a very unique uh, anywhere, very
1: uh, prairie-unique ex- dining experience. Fusion Grill, you can find it at 550 Academy Road, and if you want more information on Dine About Winnipeg, go to chowwinnipeg.com. That's spelled C-I-A-O, Scott McTaggart, Fusion Grill. Thanks for the visit today. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks, fellas.
4: The machine of a dream. Such a clean machine.
0: Things that are happening in Manitoba on the heels of our conversation with Scott McTaggart at Fusion Grill. In the previous half hour, we want to talk about something very exciting happening, technologically speaking, a homegrown project taking place uh, right here in Manitoba.
1: You heard the song from Behind the Glass, Jerry. Dream machine, clean machine, electric and solar-powered cars are being developed right here in Manitoba. This year, an ambitious team of students are designing and building an electric car with a little bit of a cheeky name. It's Sparky, but you spell spark. It's S-P-A-R-R-C-K-Y from scratch. Clever. It will be Red River College's entry in the electric prototype division of the Shell Eco-Marathon Americas competition that takes place in April in the Motor City, Detroit. In studio with us to tell us about this, we have Robert Elms, who is president of the Manitoba Electric Vehicle Association, and Bin Yang, who is the Sparky Team Leader. Robert and Bin, welcome. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you for your us. Morning, guys. So we'll start with you, Robert. This prototype that is being entered into this uh, competition in April, what
11: is it? Well, wow, that's the best question you could possibly ask, and of course, the right person is the guy sitting on my left, Ben, as the team leader. Yeah, let him know, Ben.
4: Uh, this is a like global competition that challenges all the students all over the world to make their most efficient car. And uh, I think the last year the reigning team they had their record is 400 kilometer per kilowatt hour energy. That means you use, like, nine cents of the energy, you can travel, like, 400 kilometer. Now, that sounds great. That sounds outstanding. In fact, yeah. I'm trying to put
0: it into perspective uh, of driving, say, to Calgary or something like that. Uh, yeah. You know, f- 58 cents worth of fuel or something to go yeah. to Calgary. I can get down with that. Yeah, true. But can I fit my whole family in this vehicle? N-
11: no, you can't. Just disturb- there... <laughs> driver. <laughs> one, one at a time, right, Ben?
0: Yes, one at a time. <laughs> well, if you got nothing but time, I guess you can go back and forth mm. on, that, on, that, yeah. uh, on that price. But tell, can you describe,
4: I know it's radio, but can you try mm. and describe what the vehicle looks like somewhat? It looks like a water drop. The ship is called airfoil. It's a uh, knock airfoil because like, they use it a lot in the airplane. So it has the least amount of drag. So there's like no resistance at all. Okay. It, yes, yeah, very, very efficient. So
0: rounded at the front and then pointy at yes, the Yes, you're right. Yeah, okay. That's the
4: shape, yeah. And this thing can
1: go 400 kilometers on one? Kilowatt hour energy. They use battery. Okay. Yes. Uh, so how, obviously this is a research mm. tool. How far are we from, from translating this technology into regular, everyday kind of automobile use?
4: Everyday I'm not sure I we just built a prototype mm-hmm. and we test it in our gym. Like uh, we can hit 160km per kilowatt hour right now. We're still modifying it. so hope we can get like 300 or something like that. And that would put you that would put you in the conversation
0: to to at least be in the top handful of vehicles in this competition. Would that be fair to
4: say? Uh, if I think if we can get like 250, we yes. can get to the podium. Fantastic.
0: So how many people in your group been and how many uh, students are working on this? Uh, More than 10. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Yes. So, you know, Brett, I think you asked a great mm-hmm. question, Robert, in terms of this translating, we're seeing electric vehicles already. You are, in fact, the president of the Manitoba Electric Vehicle Association. We're seeing uh, evidence uh, in our own transit system of how well vehicle uh, electric-powered and battery-powered vehicles can perform even in cold weather. We've come a long way, Right.
11: Absolutely. And uh, frankly, it's weather like this when the electric vehicle stands out here in Manitoba because, you know, we're so used to sitting down in our gas-powered vehicles and waiting five or 10 minutes for it to warm up enough for the windshield to start to defrost so we can see what's in front of us. an electric vehicle you get in, it's instant heat. It's all electric. So that kind of advantage is just wonderful. And of course, remote starts, just yes. we're all used to it. electric, same thing. And, uh, and we're now at the point where the technology is literally there um, that allow, will allow us to, uh, within two years, three years tops, to simply order our vehicle. Uh, we won't have to uh, go down, if you're living in a condo like me, you won't have to go down to the garage and get the car and warm it up and pull it back out onto the street. You'll just simply walk to the front door of your building and your car will arrive there to pick you up. And that may sound like science fiction, but it isn't. That technology is already in the Teslas that are out there. That technology uh, really is. We're just looking for regulatory and uh, legislative changes to make it uh, something we all get to do.
0: Yes, Sparky. It's got a cheeky spelling, but an outstanding name. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry, with you. We're talking about what what, what is the headline here? Two million six hundred fifty-three thousand seven hundred and one tire revolutions, or bust we're visiting with Ben Yang he is a sparky team leader that's an electric vehicle build, uh, being built at Red River College and Robert Elms is president of the Manitoba Electric Vehicle Association
1: so Ben uh, and before we get to Robert and ask mm-hmm. questions about uh uh the current electric vehicles that are on the market With the sparky like R- Red River has uh Red River College has a history in this kind of stuff, like back in two thousand five, yes. the college made a mark at uh, the North American Solar Challenge, yes. which was to design, build, and race solar powered cars. Mm. Do you have any? Do you do any of that with your current uh, work at the college? No. No, it's all electric for you. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, why focus on electric instead of solar powered? Is there more of a realistic future for electric technology?
4: Mm, I think the most concerning for us is that. Uh we don't have enough time to finish a solar car and since we already have a solar car there so we want to try something different okay yeah and electric vehicle is their future so that's the reason we decided to make an electric vehicle
1: now the uh, robert elms uh, with the manitoba electric vehicle association what what is the like the the main electric car on the road right now is it the nissan leaf
11: uh, the Nissan LEAF, definitely, uh, there are more of them on the road around the world than any other electric vehicle. They've done a, just been fantastic cars over the years. And there's a new version coming out uh, this year, and uh, it's going to have a longer range, getting close to the 200-kilometer range with that vehicle. But no question about it, the vehicle that is knocking the socks off of everybody and is really um, motivating the entire industry are the Teslas. And um, those vehicles are the state-of-the-art uh, they've pushed the envelope for everyone, shown us what we can do, and are making it practical. And, and we, we're, we're kind of lucky here, Manitoba, because we've got a lot of them here, um, even though most p- people wouldn't have recognized them because they just looked like normal, fabulous cars. Uh, but Manitobans have adopted them very, very strongly.
0: You know, and so when, when you think about this uh, and and the adaptation, what is the hesitation? Because you talk about range and everything. Oh, they're having a large enough range. They've got more than enough range for almost all of us, to get to work, to get home, and to do the things that most of us do on a common day. At least that's my perception. Robert, you want to... Do you want to uh, push pause and, and tell me I'm wrong or, or endorse what I'm saying? No,
11: no, you're, you're bang on. You're absolutely correct. I think a large part of it is because the first generation of the modern electric vehicles, they really were designed for just urban driving. But for here in Manitoba, where we like to go to the cottage or go visit grandma in Brandon or you know, long distances, you couldn't do that with that first generation vehicle. Uh, the first generation of the Leaf, uh, the Mitsubishi i-Miev. But the vehicles we've got here now, um, absolutely, you certainly can. The Teslas, I mean, it depends on which size battery you get, but you can go 350 kilometers, 500 kilometers, over 500 kilometers coming out now.
4: Ben, how fast can Sparky go? Uh, 30 km per hour. That's a speed. Really? Yeah.
1: And uh, so it, when you're working towards... Uh, New milestones with this car. Mm. Uh, what is the main one that you're trying to measure?
4: Was it the how much power you can get out of the the battery? No, it's a uh, how long we can travel with the least amount energy. Okay. Yeah, we have a what uh, like a joule meter in the car to measure the energy we use to travel this distance.
1: How so? We don't have. This might be way too complicated, but I'll mm. ask the question yeah. anyway. How do you figure out how to reduce? The, or how to increase the efficiency on that? Like what do you, how do you figure that out? How do you theorize that?
4: Uh, we, have, uh, we bought the motor from company called Maxon and they have a power curve. We just try to bring our torque down to that curve to have our efficiency. Right now the curve is like this, very high peak. We are not in the peak, we're, and we're in the tail. So we are not very efficient because we use a lot of torque to start their car, if we can make a bigger spark heat, we lower the torque. We can hit the run, so we can get more efficient. A lot of the en- a lot of the energy is lost just by getting started. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It, it's fascinating stuff. We'll have to continue and have you guys back on this because it's all very fascinating. Visit,
11: come visit. us down at the uh, at the uh, upcoming uh, auto show uh, down at the uh, at, uh, at the. Uh, yeah, sure. The RBC Convention Center, uh, March the 16th, 17th, and 18th. The uh, piston rings, uh, World the wheels. We'll see you there. Oh,
1: great. Hey, thanks for the, the Thank tip you. on that. Robert Elms, president of the Manitoba Electric Vehicle Association. Bin Yang, team leader for Sparky at Red River College, continuing the legacy of great innovation happening at the college as they head to the electric prototype division of the Shell Eco-Marathon America's Competition in April in the Motor City, Detroit. That's all the time we have, thanks to Behind the Glass, Jerry for being our technical producer, for Tristan Field-Jones and for Chanelie Vidal as content producer. I'm Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling. Thank you for listening to 680 CJOB.